So good to see all of you here. Also, those of you walking, watching online, we always appreciate you folks joining with us. John Stott, in his book, Basic Christianity, says this. If you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody ever met Jesus Christ who ever had a moderate reaction to him. There are only three reactions to Jesus. They either hated him and wanted to kill him, they were afraid of him and wanted to run away, or they were absolutely smitten with him. They tried to give their whole lives to him. Any other response to Jesus is irrational. I think at this time of year, a lot of people have a so-so attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he's part of the holiday season. He's the baby in the manger. Um, they don't really understand, unfortunately, the real meaning of Christmas. Last Sunday, we began to look at the basics of Christmas, the basic story. And we saw the announcement of Gabriel to Mary, this young maiden living in Nazareth, that she would be the mother of the coming Messiah. This morning, we're going to look at the angelic revelation to her fiancé, her betrothed, Joseph. Now, this is in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is very interesting, one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, we know, most of us believe, that Matthew is the same person as Levi. Uh, Jesus met Levi at the tax collector's office, and Matthew got up, Levi, and left everything, and he followed Jesus when Jesus called upon him. It's possible Levi is his Jewish name. Matthew could be his Christian name. We're not exactly sure. He certainly referred to Matthew in the Gospels. The word Matthew means gift of God. And so we saw in Luke's Gospel that Luke was a Greek, and he wrote his Gospel with the Greek world in mind. Matthew, who is a Jew, clearly wrote his Gospel to convince the Jews that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the promised Messiah. As you go through the Gospel of Matthew, you will find tons of references to the Old Testament because that's what's going to appeal to a Jewish audience, proving from the Old Testament as well that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the promised Messiah of Israel. The fact that Jesus chose a former tax collector is just amazing to give us this account on the birth of his son and other things we have in the Gospel of Matthew about the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I can't really appreciate what it meant to be a tax collector in that culture. Often they were called publicans. Now think about a foreign nation coming and taking over the United States of America. And then you volunteer because you can make a lot of money to collect taxes from Americans for the foreign invaders. That's exactly what Levi did, Matthew did. He collected taxes from the Jewish people to pay to the Romans, and in the process, most tax collectors became filthy rich. Yet Matthew walked away from all of that when Jesus called him and became a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and was honored by the Holy Spirit to write the account that we're looking at here this morning. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Isn't it amazing when you look at these accounts how straightforward, how simple they are. C.S. Lewis pointed out that whenever you compare the uh, biblical accounts uh, to the pagan religions, uh, their, their accounts are all their fables and allegories. They're, they're filled with all this dramatic language and embellishments, and yet part of the 
reason we know this is true is these are very straightforward accounts. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. We refer to this as the virgin birth. Actually, it was the virgin conception. We saw that last Sunday. But it was also the virgin birth. Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. So it's very, very proper to refer to Christ's birth as a virgin birth. Satan has always attacked the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning up until our very time. He has slandered it. He has made fun of it. He has created alternate accounts of virgin births and pagan ideology because that's what Satan does. He's the great imitator. But from the very beginning, this is something that the Jewish people would not accept. In John chapter 8, verse 41, the religious people say to Jesus, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. In other words, implying that you were born of fornication. Um, they would not accept, as many today will not accept, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the virgin birth is essential for us to have a sinless Savior. So after Mary had conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit, she spent three months, we saw, at the home of her relative Elizabeth. The only other person that would have understood her, that would have been empathetic with her, that would have readily believed her when she told of the coming of the angel. Joseph certainly didn't believe her account. Her parents were probably doubtful of this account as well. But Elizabeth, because she had experienced the conception miracle also, though not the same as Mary, but in her old age, her and her husband were able to have a child, John the Baptist, become pregnant, she would have recognized that this indeed was God at work in Mary's life. Now, in that verse, there are two key words, the word after and the word before. After Mary was betrothed, engaged to Joseph, before they came together, meaning as husband and wife in the marriage act, before that occurred, Mary was found to be pregnant. Now, Joseph knew he was not the father. And so what was Joseph to think? He certainly would have had a very difficult time understanding this, accepting all the implications of what this would mean for him, for his family, for Mary, for her family. Elizabeth Elliot once wrote, it was a strange method that God chose to send Christ to earth. But he is in the business of doing things in ways we never imagined. He moves in what seems to us twilight. In dimness, we have to make our decisions. We'd like to have a star of Bethlehem to guide us. But God doesn't do things that way. Most of the time, we walk by faith, which means we have to make our decisions and act in a certain degree of dimness. That is the way the life of faith is. I suspect some of you are here today. 
you have decisions to make. You are seeking God's will in some particular circumstance. Either you have been in your life or you're in it right now, or I guarantee you, you will be at some point. How are we to move in what Elizabeth Elliot describes as twilight when we don't know exactly what to do? We're faced with a dilemma. We're faced with a exceedingly difficult situations. How can we clearly see the way ahead? I like to tell people, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. When you don't know what to do or what God wants you to do, then concentrate on the things God wants us to do. And when we do that, we will see God give us greater direction. Well, I think Joseph can help us here. I think as you look at Joseph and the way he responded to the situation is something that we can practically apply to our lives right now. So let's look at this. How did Joseph respond? First of all, Joseph responded with humility, with humility. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now, we talked about Nazareth a little bit last Sunday. The city of Nazareth had a reputation for immorality because so many Gentiles went through Nazareth was a Roman garrison in Nazareth. And so it had a bad reputation anyways. When the disciple Philip told Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was the attitude that the Galilean Jews in particular had toward the Jews in the north and particularly in, I mean, the Judean Jews to the people in Galilee, and then particularly in uh, Nazareth. Now, notice that Joseph is called a just man. Just basically means right. What is right? This means Joseph believed in justice. Joseph believed in what is right. Now, if there's one word that gets thrown around in our culture today, it is justice. Everybody's talking about justice, you know. We've got social justice. We've got, the one I like is environmental justice. We have to be just with the environment. I guess it's going to feel bad if we're not. Economic justice. And we could go on and on and on and talk about all the ways our culture applies justice. Justice doesn't need a word to modify it. Justice means what is Right. Now, in the Mishnah, the Mishnah is a collection of Jewish oral teaching. The Mishnah says that adultery during betrothal is even worse than adultery during marriage. I don't know how they came up with that, but that's what the Jews believe. Because the Jews, as we said last Sunday, saw marriages not just between two people, but between two families. So this was an incredibly difficult situation. Virginity was seen as a sacred trust. I would tell you, young people, virginity is seen as a sacred trust by God. If there's one thing that you can give your future spouse, the greatest gift you can give them besides your love is your virginity, both for the boys and the girls. And our culture is so flippant about this. So in that culture, it was a very important thing for a young maiden to be pure. And so, what's going to happen? 
this is going to bring shame to two families, to the whole community. Now, Joseph is a just man. He believes in justice. And by the way, our God is a God of justice. So, what are Joseph's options? Well, he could have gone the way of a public shaming. He could have demanded a public court. Mary would have been shamed and ostracized from the community. And he would have had every right to do that. Do you realize that God has every right to condemn all of us to hell? Because we are all sinners. Every one of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. God would be very just to do that because sin demands the payment of a penalty. And that's the glory of the gospel. That's what Christmas is all about. God sent his own son to come, become a man, and yet God, so that he could live a righteous, pure life. He could be the perfect sacrifice. God could pour out his justice on his perfect, sinless son. Why would he do that? Because he loves you and he loves me. He does that because he could have demanded pure justice. But God is a God of grace and a God of mercy as well as justice. So that's sort of what Joseph is like. Joseph was willing to show mercy in the midst of justice. That's a perfect description of our God. Showing mercy in the midst of justice. Some people think, you know, God's just going to sweep everything under the rug. In the end, he's just going to say, well, you know, you did the best you could. And, and sadly, that's what religion teaches people. You know, you're, you're, you're better than some. You're certainly not as bad as some. You're probably better than most. So you're pretty good. But to go to heaven, you have to be as good as God is. You have to be perfect. And the only way we can be perfect is to have a righteousness that is not our own. And when we get saved, God takes our sin and he takes it away and he clothes us in the righteousness of his own perfect son. So when I stand before a holy God one day, I stand in Christ. I stand in his righteousness. And so God is very just to condemn those who re refuse his offer of salvation. So let's look at Joseph. Willing to show mercy in the midst of justice. Verse 19. Not wanting to make her a public example, which was his right, was minded to put her away secretly. The Hebrew word for betrothal means separation. It's the idea that one woman is for one man and vice versa. And in the same way, that's what engagement is or should be in our culture the setting aside of a particular woman for a particular man and a particular man for a particular woman leading to marriage. So Joseph is a just man, believes in justice. So what does this tell us when it says he's minded to put her away secretly? Put her away means divorce because in that culture to break a betrothal was an actual bill of divorcement. It means that Joseph wasn't willing to go through with their marriage because he was thinking that Mary was an adulterer. I mean, what other, what other choice would there be? Did Mary tell Joseph about the angel 
There's a lot of things in here that are not filled in for us. God has given us everything we need to know. So Joseph is minded. He's willing to lessen the public impact upon her. But he is not willing to cover up what he perceives as her sin with a marriage. Because he's a just man. But he's also a merciful man. And that's a beautiful picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible teaches us in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Sadly, we Christians are so often ready to shoot our own wounded. We can get so self-righteous when we see a Christian fall into sin. Rather than praying for them, considering ourselves and trying to lift them up and to help them, Joseph showed real concern. He showed concern for Mary. He showed concern for her family. He showed concern for his family. I don't think Joseph was primarily thinking of himself here, which we tend to do when we get in traumatic situations. But Joseph believed in justice mixed with mercy. Let's look how else Joseph responded. Joseph responded with acceptance. Acceptance. Look at verse 20. Well, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Like Mary, there's no indication that Joseph was like, can you run that by me again? Uh, uh, can I get a little more information? Mary didn't ask that. And you know, Mary asked about how it's going to happen. She didn't question it would happen. And so Joseph takes God at his word. It reveals also that he would have had some knowledge of the Old Testament as well as Mary did. The angel addresses him as Joseph, son of David. This would connect the child in Mary's womb to the promises God made to David. You see, God was testing Mary's faith and testing Joseph's faith by giving them enough information that they could be obedient. But also, within that, there were some other things the angel had said. Joseph, son of David. That's why I wanted Pam to read from the covenant that God made with David. 2 Samuel 7, your house, your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Howard Hendricks used to say, God has spoken and he has not stuttered. So God said exactly what he meant to say. And so when he says forever, he means forever. So the angel, we think it might be Gabriel, we don't know. He tells Joseph, I want you to go ahead and God wants you to go ahead with your marriage plans to marry she has not been unfaithful to you. And this account parallels what we saw in Luke's account. Verse 21, she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So God, in his grace, gave Joseph and Mary the same message, basically. And um, they very likely would have uh, compared, <laughs> compared notes because they had the same information. Now, we said before that some confuse the virgin birth with the Immaculate Conception, which is an unbiblical doctrine. Mary was not sinless. She did not remain sinless. There was no perpetual virginity, or, or, or did she remain a virgin? There was no perpetual virginity as well. We'll see that in a moment. 
The only person who was ever born sinless and remained sinless was Mary's son, Jesus Christ, because he had to be sinless so he could save us from our sins. He had to be the perfect sinless sacrifice, the only sacrifice that God will accept. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Romans 3.10, There's none righteous, no, not one. Do you realize none of man's religions claim a sinless savior or a sinless founder? Mohammed was never claimed to be sinless. Um, Buddha never claimed to be sinless. Where were you when the lights went out? And um, none of the founders of man's religions claim to be sinless. We have a sinless savior. There are many things that make Christianity totally unique from religions in the world. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Matthew, in his writing through the Holy Spirit, connects these events to the fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 22, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Matthew quoted from Isaiah 7.14 to show the birth of Jesus was prophesied in Scripture. Remember, he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience. He wants to prove that Jesus of Nazareth is this promised Messiah. And he goes right back to the beginning to his birth, a supernatural virgin birth, because Jesus Christ is not only the Messiah... He's also the Son of God. The first promise of a Redeemer was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The moment they sinned, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise or crush his heel. God is speaking of the seed of a woman. Anybody who knows basic biology knows that the woman doesn't have the seed. Man has the seed. It's talking about a prophecy of a woman who will birth one who will be the redeemer without a, a man's intervention. And this is further elaborated on as you move through Scripture. There's progressive revelation in the Bible that comes down to Mary conceiving in her womb without Joseph's aid by the Holy Spirit. Only one time in history did a woman ever have a seed. And then Jesus on the cross crushed the head of Satan with his death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus, being conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born without a sin nature. That's why he could live a sinless life. That's why he could die on the cross for our sins. Mary herself was a sinner. She was saved by the child that she bore in her womb who would grow to be a man and give his life on the cross for all who are sinners. There will come one who will be born without a human father. And Isaiah 7:14 is another link in the prophetic chain that leads ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great example of how the New Testament is hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New. You say, why does it say his name will be called Emmanuel? Because Jesus, you read the Gospels, he was never called Emmanuel. Well, that's a description of him as God 
with us. If Jesus was only human, he couldn't save us from our sins. He couldn't forgive our sins. He couldn't die for our sins. He couldn't be the payment for our sins. He could not have conquered death. He could not have overcome the devil if Jesus was just completely human. Christmas means that God came to be with us and for us. 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. This is not merely God indwelt humanity. This isn't like humanity and then God was poured into it. No, 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 no. This is incarnate deity. This is God containing and continuing to be, Jesus continuing to be God, but yet also now becoming a man. It's just an incredible miracle, the incarnation. And he did this for you, and he did it for me. We sing these Christmas carols, but do we ever really think about the words that we are singing? Hark the herald angels sing. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Colossians 2.9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is how the creator of the world came into the world that he created. And he came so he could give his life for you and for me. Here's another way Joseph responded. He responded with obedience. With obedience. When you don't know what to do, and then God begins to make clear to you what he wants you to do, then we have a choice, don't we? Well, Joseph responded with obedience. Verse 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did, did, as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took to, his, to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph's first act of obedience was to marry Mary. The text implies, it doesn't say specifically how soon, but it certainly implies that this happened probably pretty soon. He didn't really delay his marriage. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there when Joseph went to Mary and told her what had happened to him, that the angel had come and explained it to him? And here's been Mary, brokenhearted, not knowing what to do, not knowing what all the implications are. What a wonderful meeting that must have been. When out of all the people in the world, well, Elizabeth understood, but Joseph and Mary knew that God was in this. You know, Nazareth was a small town. Everybody would still assume especially when they got married, that Joseph was the father of her baby. This would have put a moral blemish on Joseph and his family. And what does the text say in verse 19? Joseph was a just man. He was a justice person. He believed in right and wrong. He wasn't going to marry Mary before the angel came to tell him what the deal was because he believed in justice. She, from all he knew, committed adultery. I'm not going to cover this over by marrying Mary. That wouldn't be right. The only reason he married Mary was because the angel came and explained what seemed impossible to him. Now, remember something. The, the angel didn't go in, into Nazareth and say, 
Hey, everybody, listen up. Mary's baby is miraculously conceived. Joseph is not the father, but he's marrying her. That never happened. And everybody in town still believes Mary was unfaithful. And when they got married, this must just be proof. Joseph must be the, he must be the father. Why else would he marry a, a maiden who has lost her virginity in their eyes and shamed herself? Cost Joseph a lot. I said to you last Sunday, don't, don't lightly look over what it cost Mary. And don't likely look over what it cost Joseph. The stares from the neighbors. The hushed voices when you pass by. People that once greeted you and were glad to see you now go on the other side. It cost this, these young people a lot. But they did it because they loved their Lord and they were obedient. Joseph's actions and Mary's attitude reveal their faith and trust in the Lord. Not only did the angel not make a public announcement, the angel never told them all the details. Mary, you're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You're going to bear a son. He's going to be great. She describes the son. Joseph, son of David. What is conceived in Mary is by the Holy Spirit. And um, they got all the information they needed to have to make the decisions they made. When you and I are in a position where we're not sure what to do, we're walking in that twilight, as Elizabeth Elliot says, and we're praying and asking God for direction, and he begins to provide direction. If you're waiting for God to show you the beginning from the end, you'll never do anything for the Lord. There's always got to be an element of faith involved there somewhere where you step out by faith and you really don't know what God has for you. So if you're struggling with a decision, maybe it's a life-altering decision, maybe it's a huge commitment decision, maybe it's something in your family or something personal, don't wait for God to give you all the answers. You step out by faith like Joseph and Mary did. His second act of obedience was to name the child. It was the father's job. So verse 25, he called his name Jesus. Man, I can learn a lot from Joseph about obeying the word of God, and I hope you can too. He really provides a great model for me. The fact that God saved me, the fact that God brought me into his family by the new birth, the fact that God has blessed me in so many ways, it should cause me to be unquestionably obedient to his will. Just because of all that he's done for me. And many of you would say, yes, all that he's done for me as well. One last thing. Joseph responded with patience. With patience. Look at verse 25. He did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. They did not have the act of marriage. They didn't know each other physically. Joseph voluntarily delayed the consummation of their marriage. Now, the word till implies 
that they had normal marital relations after Jesus was born. And we'll see why we believe that. Now, this makes it very clear that not only was Jesus' conception, but his birth was to a virgin. Not a perpetual virgin her whole life, but at the moment of Jesus' conception and his birth, Mary of Nazareth was a virgin. And young people, you will go to colleges in certain places and they will mock the virgin birth. They will call you stupid and ridiculous for believing in this fable. But it's not a fable. It's the actual facts of what has happened. If there's no virgin birth, we are lost in our sins. We pastors should go get a real job because we are wasting our time. And you are wasting your time for coming here this morning if there's no virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything hinges on the virgin birth, just like when we get to Easter and we talk about everything hinges on the resurrection. But there'd be no resurrection if there was no virgin birth, because Jesus is God in human flesh. The original language conveys continual action, such as Joseph was not in the habit of knowing her until after Jesus was born. And there is evidence in the Gospels that Joseph and Mary had other children. In Matthew 13, when he, talking about Jesus, had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astounded and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas and his sisters? Are they not with us? Where did this man get these things? Now, the Roman Catholic Church would have you believe that's his cousins. No, this is his half-brothers and sisters. And the idea of a perpetual virginity of Mary is not found anywhere in the Bible. We teach and preach what is in the Scriptures. I don't mean to be offensive to you, but... Sometimes the truth is offensive, and this is the truth of Scripture. Joseph's life reveals the proper order, trust and obey. So if you're struggling with a decision you need to make, if you feel like I'm groping in the twilight, Joseph can be a great example of how to move forward. Ultimately, you trust in the Lord. Ultimately, you begin with humility. And then as God begins to reveal certain things, you take steps of faith. And that really delights the heart of the Lord. 